Welcome to the Four Thoughts of Our Founders, the podcast of the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. We are practitioners, scholars, administrators, and researchers, uh, and most importantly, we call ourselves zealots of this sacred space, this space known as the HBCU. We've got a really special guest today, won't belabor the point. He's none other than the 14th president of Virginia State University, Dr. Makola M. Abdullah. What's going on, Doc? How you doing today, man? I'm good, brother president. How are you? I'm wonderful, man. I appreciate you uh, joining us on this uh, uh, nice day here in Marshall, Texas. How are things going in, in your neck of the woods? Well, I tell you, you know, it's, it's raining, uh, but it's a beautiful day. The only thing missing, of course, uh, are the students? Yes, sir. Uh, you know, with this uh, coronavirus thing going, the energy level is is at zero. I don't think the campus has ever been this empty. Mm. Um, and I, and I want to I want to shout them out. It's been incredible, incredibly difficult. I think the transition to, to going home and taking classes online, and and to the faculty who have uh, given everything they can to continue to provide education and showing that they're the real MVP. Yeah. Um, to our staff, uh, healthcare professionals across the country. Uh, to our brother and sister presidents who are making very difficult decisions in a very difficult time. Uh, and of course, last but not least, to all the wives and husbands who now can't get their wives or husband out of the house. Uh, you know, shout out to them. I'm sure my wife would love to have me go to work more. Yes, often. indeed. <laughs> you know, we folk are talking about uh, being careful in nine months about what the baby rate might look like. We may also want to look at that divorce rate. <laughs> Brother, brother. <laughs> no, it's, you know I'm kidding. Look, yeah, shout, yeah. shout out no, to my I, wife. I she's, been, she, no. she's wonderful, and she's a faculty member at Union who's uh, getting her classes and teaching her kids online. So oh, so a, she's made that just transition. Just a beautiful thing to see people. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. It's cool. great to see people adapt to, to do what we do, which is, uh, you know, educate young people. So it's a beautiful thing. You know, uh, before we get into uh, your story, your journey, I, we were talking, I was talking with uh, Rosalind Clark artists and Roderick Smothers, and, and we were we were talking about the challenges of leading through this uh, pandemic, this global pandemic, uh, and thought it, uh, you know, really uh, interesting to see how a lot of the things that we said we couldn't do or did not want to do um, happened overnight. Um, case in mm-hmm. point, faculty members going online. Like that was the boogie. That was the boogeyman, right? Right. <laughs> and, and now you 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 have practically the entire institution um, operating, um, you know, online electronically. And I I think what? what it allows us to do moving forward is is to really expand the repertoire of services that we have. Oh, certainly. I think it's given us a, uh, some new skill sets. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, we, we all had to do it, uh, and so it kind of changed the mindset in terms of how we do it. Uh, but I also also think, and I'm clear about this, I, I think that the, the learning experience face-to-face, um, what our students want, what our faculty want to do, I think is, is still the most valuable way for us, by and large, to get things done. And so I think we've got another tool in our tool belt. Um, but I think in terms of people, when this is over, uh, I think it's also going to accentuate how how much 
uh, students learn how positive and how 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 incredibly uh, vibrant that in-class experience and that on-campus experience is. Absolutely. I think, uh, nice. For students, faculty, and staff, I think we're all missing it because yeah. I think there's something to it, right? So I, it gives us a tool to work with, um, and it also, I think, makes us value the tools that we were using. Yes, sir. It will definitely not replace um, that, that mm-hmm. uh, on-campus experience. There's absolutely nothing like it. Um, who is McCola? Where are you from, my brother? Tell tell the uh, the listeners out there um, uh, where where did the uh, the young man who is now running uh, what Essence called uh, one of the top twenty HBCUs in America? Who who is this dude, mm-hmm. McCola Abdullah, man? And of course, uh, for those who at, at Virginia State we call the best HBCU in the country. My man, uh, we're a little biased about that here at Virginia State, but uh, we do call us that. I'm originally from Chicago, uh, Illinois, South Side of Chicago. Um, 72nd in Paxton. Um, I grew up in Chicago. Uh, I have a younger sister and older sister, uh, and then made my way to, to Howard University. So I'm a I'm a graduate to, and a, a proud alum of my second favorite institution, uh, Howard <laughs> University, located in Washington D.C. Uh, also happens to be my mother's alma mater, and so she. Uh, oh wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She told me when I graduated from high school from a, a boarding school in Chicago. Uh, Lake Forest Academy, and um, the story goes that I had scholarships to many institutions, and I was looking to go to any number of of institutions. And um, I talked to my mom about it, and and she said that uh, I had to go to Howard, or she would disown me. Period. And that was, period, that period. Was the, end of the, that story. the story is actually more dramatic than that. I told the easy <laughs> version because you know black mamas don't talk; they don't just say I'll disown you. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's know, a little different. I ain't gonna buy you no dolls. I think that was the <laughs> think that was a line she used. I ain't gonna buy you nothing. Um, and it was the best decision I never made. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. My HBCU experience, my Howard experience, changed my life so much so that uh, I like to say I never left college. Now um, I, I gotta ask you this: you know, you know Howard is yeah. known for his student activism. Were you? Was sure. that something that you were a part of as well? Oh yes, sir. I was in the I was in the uh, administration building in uh, 1989. Um, I think one. I went to visit uh, Wayne at Howard, and I was standing in his office, and I said, oh, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in here, and I kind of giggled. So um, I participated in student activism uh, uh, at Howard. A lot of my friends were kind of the leaders. I was not, uh, certainly not a, a, a leader in that movement, but my friends were. Um, you know, I, I played big with my football team, won the uh, Intramural Football Championship. Uh, <laughs> was, that, was, that, fact, I was, the, was that contact or was that uh, flag? Oh, brother, that was flag. Okay. That was flag. We okay. were flag. Though, though, I have to say, uh, there was a time, I think right after the protest, and we were burning off some energy when yeah. we had a six-team full-contact football, unsanctioned football league. With no pads. And uh, no pads. Wow. No pads. No pads. I played running back. <laughs> that, was a hard, that was a hard league to play in, brother. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was hard work. Did y'all also uh, play in the street? <laughs> No, no, luckily we did not play in the street. We played in the park. Uh, yeah, I played for uh, Tim and Ski and them. Everybody was, it was Matt and them, and I played with Tim and Ski and them. And the brothers from Howard, they would know. Everybody knows who Tim and Ski are. Cool. And I played with them. Cool. That's right. So, but, uh, wow. And a little known fact, here's, here's my favorite little known fact. I, I was the East Coast Collegiate Foosball Champion. Shut table up. Table soccer. Nope. Are you serious? <laughs> Oh, I did, man. Look, I I tried to get as much out of my college experience as humanly possible. Uh, there are pictures of me online painted at the football games, and I mean, I did I did a little bit of everything in college. I just had a I had a wonderful time. 
That is that that I was I was going to ask what was one of the dopest or slash craziest things that you've done or that you did uh, in college, but oh, yeah. I, I would I would imagine that 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 was pretty dope being the uh, the man in foosball. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, it's a tough title. Now, there's not a lot of respect for that title. I'm they sorry. I, I beg to differ. I but, beg to know. differ. Anybody that has played foosball, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Now, if you've played foosball, <laughs> try to figure right. out which way to get that thing to go. And, and you know, it is. Uh, you. That, you, are, that, you are far too kind. I'm going to let you I'm, laugh at I'm me later. Saying, but no, I appreciate I not, as a host. No. Being very kind to the to, to the guests. That's that's very mighty, mighty kind of you. Hey, uh, so so obviously activism was what you all did, and you came from a family uh, that knew the value of education. How did you find mm-hmm. yourself um, at, at Howard, man? What what did you know going to Howard where you were going, or did you did you know? Um, was there a, a liminal moment that led you into the engineering space uh, when, you, when you got there? I th- you know, I was, I was not clear about what I wanted my major to be. And I tell you, if I was to go back in time now, uh, my love for mathematics, I probably would have majored in mathematics. Hmm. Um, but I, I didn't know. I, I knew coming out of high school that uh, engineers made a lot of money. Uh, and everybody kept saying, you're good at math and science, you should go into engineering. Um, I had a, a buddy of mine in high school who said that uh, when the recruiters came, he told them he wanted to do engineering and he got a lot of attention, so I started saying it. <laughs> and then uh, he started saying that he wanted to be a civil engineer and recruiters listened to him more, so I started saying the same thing. Wow. And I always thought that I could change, right? That I, I always had time to change my major and that I would just go into it and see what happened. And mm-hmm. honestly, it turned out that I like it. I, I enjoy looking at large structures. Uh, uh, civil engineering is basically building large things that don't move, bridges, buildings, tunnels, roads. And I like it. I like the the, um, the extraordinary size mm-hmm. of, of, of how man can look at something and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a bridge across that river. Uh, and so in some ways, it, it it attracted me after I got into it. But to be honest, I did not know before I started. That's cool. I, I think that that's important for people to understand that, you know, that that moment will come at any uh, given time. Some of us know precisely what we want to do from the minute we get out of the cradle. And for some of us, it's happenstance. And then others are open to the universe um, and, mm-hmm. and allow for it to happen. So, you know, I get uh, oftentimes students uh, who who walk across the campus and you ask them what's going on. They're those that can tell you precisely what it is that they want to do. Four years later, they're still trying to figure it out. Then you see those who are, not, I'm not really quite sure. You know, four years later, they're walking across the stage going to graduate school, you know. So it, I don't know that there is yeah. one right way to do it. I think it's important always to lift that. Um, well, and, I tell you, I also think that. sometimes that that, that uh, we we tell our stories the wrong way. Mm. You know, when you look back on your story, it looks like this smooth super highway that led you right to where you are today. Right. And not looking at, like, what, where was I at 17, 18 years old? Mm-hmm. What was going on through my mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I try to tell my story that way because I think the, one of the most valuable things that young people can say is, I don't know. What do you want to be? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, or to have a, 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 a an idea of different types of things, you know, mm-hmm. not one settled thing. Uh, but sometimes when we tell our story, we make it seem like it was obvious that this path was the path to be on, and it, and it wasn't. Right. And saying that, I think, can discourage young people from exploring uh, oh, how definitely. they can be better. Definitely, because they, I mean, it, everybody, whether we want to admit it or not, we're always keeping score. 
And, um, you know, oftentimes kids will, will look at your story and juxtapose it with theirs uh, and say, wow, I'm not getting it right. So I, I totally agree with you there, man. Um, after you raised Kane and stormed the, uh, the administration building there at, um, at Howard, uh, what was the next step for you, brother? What, where, where'd you find yourself, uh, after, um, after Howard? Well, I, I would, uh, uh, I would say I, I calmly walked in after other storms. Now, I don't want to take, <laughs> I want to be, I want to be careful, right? <laughs> I've heard a lot of people who, <laughs> who will change the story and make themselves yeah, more yeah, important yeah. in the story than that's they why, were. Yeah, that's I, why I, I like I wasn't you, the, I'm yeah, telling I wasn't you. a stormer. No, I'm stormer. That's uh, why I like but, but I, I left Howard to, uh, to go to grad school. After watching my professors uh, and the mentorship that I got from them, I wanted to be them. And so I asked them, I said, well, what do I need to do? And they said, you need to go to grad school and get a Ph.D. Uh, and one of my mentors had gotten her Ph.D. out in uh, Northern California, I believe, at Berkeley, um, Dr. Lorraine Fleming. Shout out to Dr. Lorraine Fleming. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to do work in earthquake engineering, and so I applied to – or I was in the process of applying to go to graduate school at Berkeley. Uh, and while I was applying for grad school in the fall of 89, uh, the earthquake happened from the World Series. Mm. And I said, I want to study earthquakes. I don't want to be in them. <laughs> so then I decided to go to Northwestern uh, University, close to home, uh, outside of Chicago and Evanston. Yeah. And I worked for a wonderful uh, a gentleman, uh, Dr. K- Takiro Igusa, Igusa, who was my professor and um, mentored me and um, you know helped me get towards get the master's and then get the PhD. So wow. it was a wonderful experience. I left there and went straight to grad school. You know, graduated so, Howard at twenty. Oh wow! Uh, master's at twenty-one, PhD at twenty-four. That, and that made you both the youngest and the first to receive the, the youngest, the youngest, youngest. African American to get a PhD in engineering. Man, you you just yeah. been blazing yeah. trails for a minute. <clears throat> um, love it, love it. How was that mix of being close to the crib and and uh, getting, you know, a transformational education? How did you how did you manage that? You know, it was interesting, you know, to be with the age that I was, it was almost like I got to have two undergraduate experiences. Mm-hmm. I got to have the HBCU experience and the PWI experience. Yeah. And I was um, pleasantly kind of surprised and and excited about my PWI experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, ideas that, that both sides hold, you know, to each other uh, about what the best experience is. And I found there was a lot of positive on, on both ends. So when I was at Northwestern, uh, again, I was, I pretty much hung out with the undergrads. I played a lot of basketball. I probably played two, three times a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out, shout out to the protozoa. If they're listening, they know who they are, the protozoa. Um, and so we played a lot of ball. Um, um, I hung out with, 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 with the secretaries, with the, with the cats in the mail room, with other black faculty. And so in, a, in the Northwestern experience, for me, was a very black experience because if you were black on campus, I knew you. I went out on my way to find you, and I created this support system. Uh, so much so that my, um, my dissertation defense, when I defended, there were like 100 people in the room. Wow just black folks just coming to coming to watch and listen Family. and uh it really felt like a community uh, when i was there from the football team to the basketball team it was it was really nice you know uh, what so i had a wonderful experience at northwest you know what's interesting man like I, i've never really been forced to think about my experience at uf um at florida mm-hmm. in in law school it was um it was a volatile environment but right. uh the brothers and sisters that I was around, even, you know, some Caucasians, it was a community. 
And so right. I, 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 you've just forced me to really think about how that experience was. It was tough, but it wasn't all bad because there was community. Um, uh, we were forced to build a community. And, um, exactly. and so that, that, that experience wasn't all bad. Um, so, and I'm, I've not been really fair uh, about my uh, PWI experience and until now, just listening to you and, and finding, you know, some some semblance in my experience. I'm like, wait, man, you know what? At UF wasn't, uh, that experience wasn't all that bad. So, Oh, man, it, I think, again, it, it's almost like that corona. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, you've got to, at a, at a PWI, I think you've got to work a little harder to create that community. Yeah. Uh, and some people don't don't have it. They don't create it or they, they're not able to put it together. But when you do, it is an incredible experience. I mean, Matt, Neil, uh, Clyde, uh, you know, all the brothers from the court, um, everybody in the, in, who, who I tutored or who tutored me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was wonderful. The Black House. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> the Black House. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No Northwest people know what I'm talking about. It's self-explanatory, almost. Uh, So (laughs) I'm just going to imagine I I know what you're talking about. How'd you get into, so you leave with a claim from Northwestern, which is not a bad place uh, to matriculate from. Um, I'm I'm certain that you had a bevy of options. Uh, How how did you decide going into um, higher ed? No, so he, so here's and again I love telling these stories based on where I was at the time. Um, I graduated quickly, but I did not apply for any jobs. No one knew I was graduating, and so I graduated and I was unemployed. Um, I was unemployed for three months, man. I, I drove around the city teaching Kaplan classes. Um, you know, making twelve, thirteen bucks an hour teaching classes. Oh wow! And and um, I knew I wanted to work at an HBCU, so I, I wouldn't apply to a PWI. I just didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but I hadn't really, I didn't develop a network. I hadn't contacted anybody. Uh, so I ended up getting a job in Chicago through one of my friends of my mother's, uh, so Yuni Walton, uh, who owned the company and, 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 uh, she knew another guy named Rupert Graham and I ended up working for a company called Jackson and Toll in Chicago. And I did that work for two years, but it took me three years to find a job. And when I did, I was very underemployed. They didn't need somebody with a PhD to do that job. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, they probably would have preferred somebody who didn't have a PhD to do that job. Mm. Uh, and I worked, a, you know, kind of a semi-corporate job for almost two years uh, before I got serious and sent my resume to Morgan State, mm-hmm. North Carolina A&T, Howard, and Florida A&M. And when I say sent, I mean I sent an email to a random faculty member at those institutions. Wow. And uh, the guy at FAMU, Dr. M. Tenga, uh, who's still in the civil engineering department at uh, FAMU today, sent my resume to the president, Fred Humphreys, who sent me a letter saying, we want you to come and interview. No and, way. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, that, that's how I got my job at FAMU. Wow. Yeah, it was all not, totally. Not I mean, one connection. Not one. Not one. This was, and I don't know if people remember before there was the, the, the internet was big. Mm-hmm. Every university and every company didn't have a web page. It was just random faculty members who had web pages. Wow. I found his email address on the web and just sent him an email. Wow. Now, being being from yeah. Jacksonville myself, Jacksonville, Florida, I knew um, Fred Humphreys and his lore. I knew you know him making that place the number one college and or university in America. Um, I knew mm-hmm. how he was, and in fact, had a conversation with him probably about six or seven years ago, 
where he he really talked about how he built um, FAMU by really um, uh, agitating many of his VPs because he went out mm-hmm. and and picked superstars himself and told folks to hire him as opposed to people, you know, he allowed people to run. And these are his exact words. He allowed people to run their space. Um, but there were times where he intervened and, and picked superstars to uh, create what was the best college in America. Uh, and then I, I heard that later reiterated through Tisdale. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away that one, first of all, you sent somebody had a damn web page, number one, number two, back <laughs> right, then. Right. Uh number two, that it was just a cold email, man. That's that that um that's 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 pretty powerful, bro. It's it's uh you know, there's a there's a lot to be said for, you know, coincidence and luck and being blessed and mm-hmm. you know, I I wish I had done it the way I would know how to do it now. Yeah. But I didn't. Uh well that so, may not yeah, have worked was, then. Right. That's right. May not have worked. That's right. So you get the fam and you're a young guy. Obviously, you were probably one of the youngest uh, uh, faculty members at that time, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So did you did you experience ageism before you knew that you were experiencing ageism? Oh, no, I knew I was experiencing it. Uh, That was uh, that was that was that was obvious. Now, again, some of it was. I won't say my fault, but I was, you know, there was some consequences for some of my own actions. I, won, I never wore a suit. Uh, and at the time, so I was wearing jeans, big T-shirts, basketball jerseys, sneakers to class <clears throat> and to meetings. Uh, and so I didn't, wasn't just their age. I really looked like, and in some ways I was probably going out of my way to look like a student. So mm-hmm. I would go to the provost's office to talk about my contract and they would have me sitting in the office. All day, and I'd have to go up to somebody and say, "Look, I'm uh, I'm Doctor Abdullah. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I came I came to talk about something. You know, so um, <laughs> there were plenty of times where whether it was students or other faculty or administrators that uh, that people just kind of looked at me like, you know, who is who is this kid, and and um, you know, is he a is he a student? I would go to class and sit in the back of the room and listen to students talk uh, for about five minutes before I would start teaching. Mm. You know, wow. so it was. You know, so that was kind of a constant part of my existence, probably until in, until um, you know five or ten years into my career. Um, so I, I did experience it, but at the same time, I thought that uh, once, particularly the the faculty in my department, uh, you know, once I showed that, that I cared about the students and I wanted the best for them, uh, and that I was engaged in a way um, that they they accepted me and competent, and and that was powerful, and and, and competent. Would you, would you say competent? Competent, yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Now, I want uh, I want teacher of the year twice, researcher of the year once. I was nominated for teacher of the year probably six times. Wow. Um, and so you know, in that, uh, I I enjoyed being in the classroom, and mm-hmm. I, I I think that um, I think students in, in, enjoy having me in the classroom. I really enjoy that experience. It's the one thing I really really miss from doing this job. I don't, is not I, getting a chance to see kids every, every day. The same young yeah. people every day yeah. and kind of watching that journey from one part of the semester, yeah. the beginning of the semester. To there, the there is something yeah. really special about that. That I would imagine that your success, um, while it probably didn't, 
it wasn't intentional, like you set out to do those things, but I'm certain with that success came um, an ascension um, from the classroom. I'm, I'm certain someone saw something in you or did, did it happen that way that that began to move you from the classroom uh, to administration? How, how did that process uh, work out? Yeah, I mean, it's all these crazy, you know, coincidences. So at, at the time, I had a, a couple of million dollars in um, NSF money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I graduated three PhD students at that point. I think I've, I got four now. Wow. Uh, three of my PhD students are tenured at Research One Institution. Um, and so I was in the process of, and I had six master's students. I had a, I had a nice size lab, a, a bunch of research money, a lot of money or a fair amount for me at least, uh, from the National Science Foundation. Mm-hmm. And it came a point when there were some challenges with some of our NSF grants on campus. And the National Science Foundation wanted us to come up with a new set of policies and procedures to make sure that, you know, that we were handling it and doing it correctly. And there was an administrative team that was put together from the entire institution across all um, departments and divisions. And a few faculty members were put on this committee. And I was put on this committee by the then, I believe, provost or acting provost, who was Larry Robinson, the current pro- the current wow. president at, at Florida A&M now. And I took this really seriously because if they had pulled all the NSF grants, my lab would have been greatly impacted. Right. So I participated in all of the meetings. I showed up for everything. I helped to write some of the policies and, and tried to stick up for faculty in the room, kind of letting people know how hard it is to do research and, and how that fits with everything. And at the end of the process, we were successful in, in, in completing our task. The consultant who was working with us um, kind of pulled me aside and said, um, I'm going to be the next VP for research. Would you like to be the associate VP for research? And I said, um, do I have to wear a suit? And he said, yes. And I said, I don't know if I want to do it. <laughs> and he said, uh, he says, I said, can I teach? And he said, no, you can't teach anymore. I said, I don't know if I want to do it. And he said, well, you know, it pays this. Mm. And I said, I'll take it. Right there yeah. on the spot. Uh, <laughs> Going to get um, suits. And... There you go. I went to get suits on a Friday, got them fitted, uh, started wearing suits every day that next Monday. I went from not having suits to wearing, not having a college shirt, mm. not using an iron. My wife would tease me. I'd leave the house with wrinkles in my shirts all the time <laughs> um, to wearing suits that next week. And um, and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed. I always figured if I didn't like it, I could go back to being a faculty member, and, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the experience. I went from there with the, that was Keith Jackson. I was uh, associate VP for research under Keith Jackson. And then uh, after that became a dean um, at Florida A&M uh, and then provost at uh, Florida Memorial and then at uh, Bethune-Cookman uh, before landing uh, here at the best HBCU in the country, the great Virginia State University. Yes, sir. Let's um, let's dissect that interviewing uh, process when you were uh, going to the presidency. What what was that like, man? Did you go through a search firm? Was it a typical uh, campus search? Like how how did, what what was that process like, bro? Yeah, it was it was a search firm. It was a search firm. And so it was a, so let me, I'm, I'm sorry to ahead. stop you. Were you contacted? Did did one of your mentors say, you know what, it's time for you to go get your butt, um, uh, your own institution? Like, how did how did you know it was it was time for you? Um, or, and, and did you? You know, I, I want to tell you, if I, um, I, w- I was never, you know, kind of naive. I, I started my career early. Um, you know, I was a young professor. I was a young dean. And I knew that if I did things well, that the opportunity, that if I did them well, that the opportunity to become a president might 
be available. Right? So business. I knew I was on a train mm-hmm. that led to a certain destination, mm-hmm. but I was never really sure if I wanted to get off at that destination. I you know? So I, I wasn't ignorant, but I hadn't really made the conscious decision that that's something I wanted to do until probably no more than a year before I came to Virginia State. And it was it was my, my boss at the time, um, uh, Edison O. Jackson, yeah. uh, Cookman, and he kind of said, um, you know, what do you what do you want to do? And I kind of, you know, danced around it again. I'm not sure what I want to do. And he said, you want to, you should think about it. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, uh, that that's something that you want to do. And uh, I don't think it, it, it was soon after that that I said, you know what, I think I would like to, to, um, to serve an institution at, at the highest level. Uh, and then I started thinking about what kind of institution would, would really work. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't have, it, a couple of months after that, um, I got this ad and a search firm contacted me. And they got my name from somebody. And when I read the ad, it just sounded like me, the challenges that the institution had, what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. It sounded like something that I could do. And and that was, it was kind of an epiphany moment. I hadn't, I'd only applied to, pre- this is only the second presidency I applied to. Okay. Um, but, but you saw it was, fit. It seemed like a great fit. You saw oh, yeah, fit I saw, more than anything I saw nothing else. but fit. Yeah. 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 How, how important yeah. is that for people to be very clear, even even if if, if it's for the directorship or a vice presidency, mm-hmm. how important it is, is it for people to really go in, look at mission, um, institution, leadership as best they can with as, mm-hmm. you know, as much information as they can uh, before they make these decisions to jump just for the next opportunity. Oh, I think it's I think it's extremely important. I mean, if I was to kind of put it together like a basketball team, um, you know, there's an application out there to say you can start for our team. The question is, is what does that team need to win? Mm-hmm. And if you're a rebounder and they need a shooter, uh, that doesn't mean you're not good at your job. Uh, it just means that that's not what they need at this particular time. And so, you know, kind of reading the description and, and reading the newspaper and listening to the challenges that, that people talked about at Virginia State. Um, uh, and I thought that, that they fit a unique, uh, my skill set, uh, that I would be able to have a positive impact on that. Uh, I'm not sure that there are other positions where I would have had been able to have that positive mm-hmm. positive impact. I'm not sure my skill set would have fit everywhere. Uh, so I think fit is is for whatever position, uh, mm-hmm. no matter how high or, or no matter how high it is, or, or directorships or deans. Um, I think getting a a clear idea as best you can, you know, because interview processes are not unlike dating processes, and everybody puts their best best face forward. But mm-hmm. the better you can understand what the real challenges that an organization has, and understand what your strengths and weaknesses are i think the better the better you're prepared to to try to make a difference uh, so i think fit is fit is very important so you just touched on something that really deals with the interview and i think it speaks to um the toolboxes um and the tools in the toolbox rather when when you have these interviews you want to be so very comfortable that it's more a conversation than it is an interview right Mm-hmm. And oh, definitely. And 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 you felt coming through the classroom, uh, dean, chair, assistant, uh, you know, provost. All those things made that that uh, interview very comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Right. It. It. it I, I can. Uh, one of the stories I love to tell is when I first became a dean uh, at Florida A and M. There were 
you know, search firms put you on this list and they send you emails. Mm-hmm. And I got my first email saying, you know, would you like to apply to be a president? I hadn't been dean for a week. And I got an email saying, would you like to, you know, search firm, we see you, we want to talk to you about this president job. That president job, by the way, was Virginia State University. Get out of here. Uh, no, no, serious. So the, so the consultant calls me and is asking me questions. And when I look back on that, it's like I get to, you know, have a mirror to myself. Mm-hmm. The level of how unprepared I was to even <laughs> be able to have a conversation or to ask questions, right? I didn't know enough to have a conversation about what are the challenges and what do the financials look like and, you know, how many students and, and, and how the faculty and what are the level of accreditations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't know. So I, I was actually able to kind of go back and, you know, same school. Again, I didn't get to an interview process that first time. I don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't get past the, the search consultant. But that, con- that initial conversation in terms of the things that I was thinking about in terms of what a president meant, um, how you engage in that process to interview, um, you know, I was so thoroughly unprepared that it kind of it shed a light on how much better at least I was prepared um, the second time by the time I actually interviewed for the job. Yeah, I, I think um, you know what what's always um, a challenge for me. Um, I I like uh, the fact that I'm able to really interface with a lot of the the next the next generation and the, mm-hmm. the up and comers and. You know, oftentimes you'll get a text or a phone call and say, hey, I got a note from a search firm today. And I I always ask, like, are you a part of the cattle call or was like, did someone call you? Because there's a difference. Right, you know, right. they send a million right. <laughs> emails out. So, I, 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 you know, I hope people understand that. Uh, yeah. Just because you get that <laughs> yeah. chain email doesn't necessarily right. make uh make it, um, um, you know, official that you're ready to be the president. It, 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 it does not, it does not, it, it does mean that you've, you've reached a point where your, your title means you should get these, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready. And, and, and that's the, that's the kind of soul searching that, uh, that we all have to do to, uh, to make sure that we, that we believe that, that we believe we're ready when it's time. You know what? I'm going to take that and put that in the, in the, in the back pocket. I, I really like that because you don't, necessarily want to hurt or injure um, I don't know what conversations people have with God so I can't tell them when their time is or when it isn't but it's always mm-hmm. something that you grapple with by you know really helping people to understand w- whether or not they're ready or not and so you just mm-hmm. said because you have this title you certainly should be um, getting these types of whether you're ready or not is the question. I think that is just so powerful. I I mean, not even adding the other part, but just saying, you know, you certainly should be getting these, um, these emails and these inquiries. The question is whether or not we're ready to go and find a place to lead. So I, 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 yeah, that's, that's, um, that's powerful in and of itself. Well, I think that's part of it, but I think the other part is, is I'm a big fan of, I think it's, it's other people's job to tell me no, Mm. that's not my job. Um, and so, you know, I didn't hire myself to be the president of Virginia State. The, the board of visitors, a wonderful board of visitors, won the, won the award for best board of trustees a couple of years ago. And oh, we've man. got uh, one, 15 wonderful volunteers who who have, uh, have fiduciary responsibility for Virginia State who give me a lot of guidance. So I wanted to shout them out, of course. But they, in their infinite wisdom. Yeah, it makes a world What'd of difference. Say? It makes a world of difference to have a really good board. 
bro, you have no idea. Um, but it's it's their collective wisdom that decides who you know and runs Virginia State and how they and and, and how long they get a chance to do it. Uh, it's my job to do the best that I can, mm-hmm. but also to understand that it's somebody else's job to to hire me and to manage. Uh, and I think that's the same for any interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 your job to decide you're ready to interview. It's their job to decide whether you're ready for the job. There you go. You know, yeah. So let I them do one, their job. You do yours. One of the old heads told me that you're you're never smarter than the fifteen or twenty or twenty five. Uh, no matter how smart you are. Uh, 15 mm. or 20 board members will be smarter than you on any given day. Um, so hey, recognizing look, that. <laughs> you know. uh, it is important. I think we all understand that uh, that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as I think we want the folks who we lead to understand that sometimes we have information um, or knowledge uh, that makes our decision making, you know, it, it may be strange to some folks when they yeah. see it. Uh, but that to trust it and to follow it, I think that's the same for what we have to do yeah. uh, with our boards. Mm-hmm. And it can, you know, with 15 diverse people, uh, that's a it's a, it's always interesting. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's important that we always remember that the, you know, uh, to follow the will of the board. Do you remember where you were when you got the phone call, man? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember. I was sitting in my office. At, at Bethune. I was sitting in my office when I got the call. Yeah. Okay. Actually, hold on. Which which call are you talking about? The, the, there's the a, call, there's the call you, we want you to interview. No, 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 no. The call that we want you to leave Virginia State. Yeah, no, I wasn't in my office. So that was, I was, um, for this, they, 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 they were, it was a close search. And so the interviews were all in, in D.C. Okay. Uh, and it couldn't have been more than a couple of days after that. I got a call from, um, I was at home. I got a call from the, the, the search consultant and yeah, it was no matter how prepared I, I, I thought I was, I'm not sure I was prepared to hear him say, you're the top person, mm. you know, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't, it, it really blew me away. Yeah. Um, and I was stunned um, for a while, and I had to take a step back. You know, I mean, I got off the phone. I don't remember what I said to get off the phone because yeah. I need to get off the phone. Yeah, yeah. before um, you say something crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, because it, it was it was a life altering thing, and I'm not sure I I knew then how life altering mm-hmm. that conversation was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was change your life, change the trajectory of your family's life. Um, uh, kind of announcement that I thought I was ready for, and I continually find out that uh, there's a more nuances to it and everything I thought I was prepared for that I have to continually mm-hmm. always get prepared for something else because there's always more. Did, did you feel like you like you you like you killed the interviews, man, from every every different level? How many how many rounds did you have? You have two or three rounds, or like did they weed two out rounds. two rounds? Two rounds, yeah. Um, you, you felt like yeah. you killed, killed the, uh, and, and I know kilt is not a word, but it's good communication right now. Um, did you feel like you killed that interview, bro? I feel like I killed it. I, I, felt, I felt the appropriate amount of anxiety, right, the, the seriousness of the moment. Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, but I also felt that I belonged in that room. Oh, um, Whoa. And so it felt, 
I mean, with again, with the seriousness of the moment. I yeah. mean, this was a group that yeah. was charged with with finding the next leader of a school that has now been around for 138 years, and so this, this is serious. It's not it's not jokes. Um, but I I felt people's people's energy. I felt like it was that that the answers that I was giving were were the good were good ones, yeah. good ones for me at least. You know, um, and and I felt like the conversation that we were having in terms of when they asked me to ask them questions, that the conversation was meaningful, mm. uh, and that it was a good back and forth, and that they, you could tell that they were putting a lot of time and energy uh, into it, and that they cared a lot about the institution. So I, I felt really good coming out of it, but you know, um, it's 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 all fit, and 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 knowing everybody, I assumed that that level was extremely qualified, and any one of the people I imagine who made the finalist list could have done a wonderful job. Yeah. I think that the question just came down to, at that moment, mm-hmm. what fit were they looking for? And I, I didn't know that. So I was still quite surprised when it when it came through. I don't think people recognize the gravity of these decisions. You know, one, one bad administration or unsuccessful, I won't call it bad, or unsuccessful administration can alter the trajectory of an institution and render it uh, in a climbing pattern for years, um, it it just doesn't take long to to really um, harm an institution almost irreparably, um, and so the gravity of those decisions um, is is one that I don't think people really understand um, that these boards mm-hmm. have to make in the seriousness of it. So you get the phone call, going through the process. Before we move on to the best part and mentors, etc., what was that first day in the office like that you had uh, a moment to yourself? What What did that feel like? Ah, oh, you know, I um, and again, it's a, a personal thing. I feel like you can't understand the job until you can see it through your predecessor's eyes. Mm. Um, So there was a time early when I think I was contemplating a decision that one of my predecessors made. Um, This probably first, second day, whatever. Um, And I started to, I I didn't necessarily agree with it, but I started to understand it. And suddenly I just kind of had this, vision of and again this this is not everybody has sat in this president's office i think the last two presidents have i'm not sure the presidents before that but i kind of had this vision of sitting with um the other 13 presidents of virginia state wow uh and what it what it meant to them and what it means to the community and what virginia state means as the uh oldest public institution public um hbcu in virginia um and it was exciting and humbling, you know, kind of all at the same time. Uh, and it and it continues to be that. It continues to be like one of the greatest, you know, joys. It really does, you know, get me going in the morning. And it's also to think, you know, well, you know, wow, um, you know, it, it, it's so much. I don't know if pressure is the right word, but maybe it is. But it is. There's so much pressure to do do the right thing and to make sure that that the institution that has been shepherded now for 138 years, uh, that you put it on the path to be around for another another 138. Um, so 
it's 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 a lot. I think it, there was a point when the when the gravity just kind of, you know, stood on me and said, you know, you you gotta you gotta own this. I like to say it's a part of the suit, right? That there are weights in the suit. The mm-hmm. presidency is like a suit that you put on, <laughs> and when you put it on, you realize how heavy it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, and it's and and it's it's a wonderful suit, but it's heavy. And you got to get used to it, and it it uh, it was certainly something to get used to. You know, I liken it to. Um particularly around decision-making processes, um, processes. I, I still, I have a great relationship with my predecessor and, um, you, you touched on, you know, just the fact that you had to really think about it and looking at it from your predecessors, um, visions when oftentimes when we're in cabinet meetings, um, and some of the VPs, which I didn't understand this because as a vice president and chief operating officer, I still, when my boss would ask me questions, I would give him my response based on the information that I had. And mm-hmm. I remember having this conversation with him, Dr. Jimmy Jenkins, and he would tell me, young man, you have a really nice view of a corner office in downtown but your view is obstructed. You can only see the corner. I have the penthouse view and I'm panoramic. And so I have all of this information. I get to see everything. And it didn't, I didn't understand what he meant until I sat in the seat at my first presidency and understood like having to look at it from a perspective that is not myopic is a heavy, heavy, heavy um, burden to carry because people oftentimes, I think, don't feel as though you've heard them, but what they don't know is that their information, um, while it was good and impactful and meaningful, wasn't enough to move you in ways uh, or would have been harmful or would not have done what the institution needed at that time. Oh man, you! I mean, you said a mouthful. And one of one of the things my my mother used to say, uh, she was a psychologist. Uh, rest in peace. She passed last October. Um, but she used to say that dating does not at all prepare one to be married. She said that those two things are mutually exclusive. They're not even close. They look similar, but they're not even close to each other. Um, and now that I've been married twenty three years, I can safely say that that's she's she's Spot she's right. On. Um, I think the same thing is true for, let's say, a background singer and a lead singer mm-hmm. um, and a vice president and a president. That It's so different that it's hard to – it's hard to – and now, again, I'm not saying that there are plenty of VPs who will be great presidents. There are plenty of deans that would be great presidents. There's mm-hmm. plenty of faculty members that would be great presidents. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that, you know, being president is some sort of anointing. It oh, is no. totally just no, a no, job. No, 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 Absolutely. But, but it is so different that it's hard to describe. Um, it's hard to describe to people who haven't been in the in the position. Uh, and it takes, I think, all of us uh, a second to kind of reorient yourself because how you view the university, no matter what VP ship you came from, how you viewed an institution and how you view it as a president are two totally different things. Yeah. Um, and they're not even close. And. And it's just amazing um, how different it is, and it it gave me a lot of respect for all of all the folks that I worked with and worked for, um, and I appreciate their leadership even more now. Mm-hmm. And and I also understand how difficult it is to 
to communicate that because sometimes as a president, you attempt to communicate that. And it's, it's hard to communicate um, if people haven't seen that view. It's just a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And, and it gave yeah. me a greater appreciation for presidents who um, have had interruptions in their journeys, who, who may have stumbled. It matters not. If you got to uh, the presidency, I, I have a ton of respect for any person uh, that has held uh, that title, presidency or chancellor uh, of an institution. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Agreed. I, I, any, anyone who was given who was given their life in this service, mm-hmm. you know, who was, who was given up their life, um, years of their life for this, I, I appreciate them. It's 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 tough whether you agree with somebody's work or not. Yeah, uh, you have to appreciate the fact that someone decided to take that challenge, and especially with the impact that it might have on other things in the, in their own lives. So, talk, yeah. talk to me briefly about mentors and mentees and advice you would have um, on climbing, not just for the presidency, but moving themselves up. How how impactful were your mentors, and and what what uh, advice would you give to mentees or anyone uh, out there listening um, about climbing? I, you know, I um I've been fortunate enough to have a, a a bunch of good people who have not been shy uh, about helping me and and telling me things that um, that could help me out. Um, some have been presidents, um, uh, Dr. Humphreys, Dr. Ammons, um, Henry Lewis when I was at Florida Memorial, uh, Edison Jackson at Bethune Cookman. Um, you know, some have been presidents, some some have not been. Uh, there's probably too many names for me to mention, mm-hmm. um, but it's having people who believe in you one um and are not afraid to tell you the truth in love uh two i think uh is, is very critical um, can you, you, can know, you, you can, is it possible to make that number one mccullough what? <laughs> <laughs> i mean because hey, people, I, I, people yeah. don't know that mentorship is hard like you have to find ways to tell people difficult things in love um, and, and, love, and that's an art, love. and I think it's a vital part of mentorship. Yeah, I, I would, I would concur. Uh, in terms of being a mentor, that is, you know, how do you, how do you make sure you build your relationship up well enough, and that you've shown that concern and that, and the, and the, about the positive things, so that when you turn to say something that might not be um, as positive or be constructive, that that people can hear it. It is a very difficult and uh, delicate balance. And I find it to, honestly to be more difficult now because of the, the nature of the job. I have less time and probably more people that I'm trying to mentor. Man. Right. Uh, and the only way to do it really well is to give, you have to give it a lot of time. You have to develop relationships. Everything is, is relationships. And mm-hmm. so uh, when I find that I'm not doing it well, generally it means that I'm not spending enough time with the people that I'm trying to mentor. Cause it, it, you just can't, it, it can't be just criticism. Yeah, you know, that doesn't that doesn't work. Um, people don't accept, and they shouldn't. They no. should. They've, they've got to have a a bucket of both. They've got to see that's where right. you're coming from. They've got to understand you. That's and right. So, um, but that, that's one yeah, of I the think, one of the yeah. mistakes we made at Health. Uh, our first two cohorts where we were really trying to force uh, mentorship, and then we mm-hmm. understood that it is organic, really, and. Um, you know, you meet people all the time and I'm, I'm a little different because I know the law of averages. I can give my number Mm -hmm. to a hundred people and maybe five of them are really going to call. 
And so Mm -hmm. I know, um, and we're both Greek and we understand what that process was like going through to show yourself to be worthy. It is just the same way for me. Um, and it's, it's wrapped my mind. I mean, I, I even studied you, um, for my dissertation, you and several other folks, and there was a common thread uh, all throughout uh, each of you, regardless of whether you were sitting or not. Uh, the organic piece, the time, the veracity of truth, uh, all those things were very common and the difficulty in um, establishing rapport to have good, strong uh, mentorship and menteeship what just you know, was just a common thread all throughout and we recalibrated and that's why we keep health so small um, because we know that if, if we allow a small enough group to get in contact with presidents or other administrators that we bring through organically, what is supposed to happen will happen. And so we don't, we don't promise people mentorship. We just let it happen. And every cohort right. out of the 25 or 30, there's always two, maybe three that I stay in contact with constantly because it's reciprocal and they all have mm-hmm. my number and I'm always available for them. But that mentorship mm-hmm. piece really happens in an organic space. And I know that I'm an acquired taste too. I'm not for everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. So That's right. And, not, and, not I, and I'm time. comfortable. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with that, you know? Well, I think that's the, um, and that's one of the things that uh, in my mentorship and in the way that I've been mentored um, is to make sure that people understand that their success is directly tied to who they who they are. That that um, I mean, you had um, you had Warmax, who sometimes I call Warlord, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Wes Bellamy on uh, before this one. Yeah. I do note that you had two two Catholics first, <laughs> and I'm um, not real happy about that. Not real happy about that. But but I say that to say that, that those two gentlemen, who I know both very well, Wes, of course, is chair of our political science department mm-hmm. here at Virginia State, that part of their success is being who they are. Right, mm-hmm. unapologetically who they are right? right, and allowing who they are to help uh, garner the results and create what they want to create almost like what with what you do I mean I, I applaud you with, with health you and your you and your colleagues um, and and also even with this podcast mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of people who say well I think I might want to you know but there's a couple of folks who say I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and do it and just do it and you've got that in your thing it's part of who you are yes, sir. Uh, and allowing you know, you do not not holding that back and trying to be the image of a leader that someone else has created. You're mm-hmm. not going to be the next Obama. No, Obama did that already. Yeah. Um, how do you be? How do how do you be you and and own that part of you? And mm-hmm. and when I see the really highly successful people, you can see their personality. Yeah. Uh, come out because they can't hide it. Right. No they doubt. just can't hide it. So no doubt. Um, it's 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 a beautiful thing. So that's probably the, the main thing is just to have people embrace. You know, that's the number one thing I tell them. Embrace who you are. Yeah. You know, own that. The good and the bad of it. Yeah. Um, because it, your, the, the secret to your success, the secret to your success is you. That's right. No one yeah. is going uh, to wake up and advocate for McCola better than McCola. No one. That, that's correct. Period. That, that's correct. No one's going to do that's that. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, and I, 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 I got so comfortable and brazen, man. Like I, I wore my fitted to both of my interviews. Um, and 
you know, I had this one guy tell me like he he like was just bold enough to say, you know, it's, it's sort of like a gimmick. I, I see your little gimmick. And what he didn't know was that, you know, I'm I, I understand that being bald comes at a price. You know, you can actually uh, we're, we're more susceptible to skin cancer. Uh, than others right um and so i am i'm cognizant of that number one number two i actually love the yankees uh and number three uh my fit it reminds me of uh where i came from and it keeps me grounded no matter how good i feel in my suits and all that good stuff i want to remember that poverty uh and um my mother who's a janitor is where i came from so highfalutin um, I don't want uh, to be associated or allow myself to start smelling myself. So it, it, in my mind, that was one of the things that kept me in check. Uh, but it speaks to what you talked about, that authenticity uh, that you right. that, that you really need to have on this journey in particular. I, that's, um, you know, that's, that's as, as you know, that's one of my things, too. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big sports guy. I love sports, love, love LeBron. And so for me, uniforms. Teams and uniforms are important, <laughs> and so to the interview, I wore I wore orange and blue to the interview when I interviewed for the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have one, and you know this because I took a tie off of you because it was orange and blue, and I you liked did. it, so I wanted it. Um, <laughs> but I've worn orange and blue every day for four and a half years. My man, <laughs> right? My I mean, man. but that's just that's me, yeah. right? I mean, that's not a you know, it's not a thing. I, I believe if you're part of a team. You wear that uniform, and you're never caught out of uniform, and so you can't find a picture of me that's not Virginia State orange and blue because I'm 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 a, I'm a loyal son of orange and blue, uh, and that mean that means something to me, and it, and it may not mean the same to everyone, right? It doesn't it's not have an expectation to. I have it, of everyone, it doesn't even have to. But it does to. mean, but it means that to me. That's right. You know. That's right. What? How, how do you feel about colleagues? How important is it for you to have colleagues in this space right now, man? What man? It, the the worst. The worst part about this job is that you don't have colleagues on campus. Yes. That's the worst part. Um, the isolation the, can be the, crippling, right? Oh, definitely. 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 And I think one of the great parts about this coronavirus thing is that we're all going through the exact same thing together. Mm-hmm. And the ways that we've been leaning on each other, um, um, HBCU colleagues, uh, uh, colleagues in Virginia uh, has really been incredible. And mm-hmm. it's, I think it's brought us all closer together in terms of solving our problems. But man, without, uh, you know, you and Mike and, and Rod and Walter and, and Roz and, you know, and, and, and Tash and Wayne, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, I don't, uh, this, this would be a, a warm act and uh, it, this, this would be hard to, it'd be harder to do. Uh, and so I really appreciate it. The times when we get a chance to, you know, sit over lunch and talk about nothing yeah. um, are some of the best. Are some of the best times, and I, I value them more now. Because mm-hmm. again, as a as a VP or as a dean or as a faculty member, I took it for granted I could walk across the hall and find a colleague. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and now that's certainly not the case. So no, you are um, the amount of information uh, I get, the amount of uh, humor because y'all are some funny people. Of we are, we are. I think, uh, but you, know. you are probably the coldest though because your shit is dry. And, <laughs> and if folk are not smart, they won't catch it real quick. Uh, so it is, uh, I mean, you're versatile, but that dry wit is deadly. It is deadly. Um, thank, so, uh, yeah. thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. And, and and what's messed up is I don't get a chance to use it. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, I, I do like playing a dozen sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, you can't be, you can't be the president. No. 
and play the dozens. Okay, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah, you know, it, it really uh, does. You know, so so I, I, that's the other thing. I get a chance to 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 be a little bit more of um, you know, with with the you know, since we don't, none of us work for each other. Yeah, uh, it's a different kind of dynamic, yeah. and and I really do appreciate it. that. That's one of the. It's one of the unexpected. I did not know mm-hmm. that for presidents and chancellors at HBCUs in particular that there really is a fraternity of sorority, yeah. um, and that we really do pull for each other. We really root for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call each other and ask each other questions. Um, that has been probably the the best surprise and one of the best benefits of, of having a job. And I appreciate all of you. Yeah, I really do. What's the best part of uh, uh, about this um, this calling that you've been led to do, man? What's the, what's the best um, What's the best part about it? Uh, you know, being a chance to to be a part of a life altering experience um, that is uh, the college experience, that is the HBCU experience, that is the Virginia State experience. Being a chance to be a part of that, uh, being a chance to to influence it, um, uh, and and hopefully make it make it a better experience with my with my colleagues, with the faculty, staff, and students. Uh, being a part of of helping to set a legacy that I hope will be here a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that Virginia State that our HBCUs will continue, maybe not in the same form or format. A thousand years is a long time, but but to continue to to provide. Uh, predominantly black kids uh, with an opportunity to to change their lives and to become more than who they were before they got here. I, it's to be a part of dream making. You know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, you know we that that's what we do. We build and and make dreams. The students students aren't our products. Successful dreams are our products, wow. and uh, and we do it every day. Um, and students leave with those dreams and go out and and do incredible things. And just to to be a part of that. And I've been here long enough now where, you know, about a little over four years where some kids have graduated, have come back with, you know, with with little kids and Mm -hmm. and, and they're eating off of their dreams. And and you're just happy that you, you know, were able to play a small part in that. So it's a, I mean, it's, 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 it's wonderful. I don't, for satisfaction, for personal satisfaction, I don't think there's anything that that beats education being in education there's nothing that beats that it's hard it's hard to think of something yeah i I agree with you totally colette uh over at houston tillison says uh that we graduate families and uh, listening to you i I mean that that really captures uh what what um you know her her sentiments how how is the uh, as we cut across the field here man how's the the profession impacted your intentionality around family well, I, you know, I was not, um, I didn't know, as, as you know, from being a vice president, um, a, a, a vice president is more of a, uh, a university, um, person, mm-hmm. not really known off campus, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's easy to turn it off. It's, you know, you, you walk away from campus and you, you, you turn it off every once in a while, you see some folks in the grocery store, but it's not a big deal, you know? Um, I wasn't aware when I took the job that it was on all the time. And I don't think my family did either. I mean, we knew, you know, but but, but we didn't know. Right? We, we knew it intellectually, but we didn't know how it was going to really impact us. And so we're, um, we're, we are very deliberate in terms of when the family has to work, and we call it work. Um, you know, um, homecoming, you got to work homecoming, you got to work graduation, family. everything else is your choice. That's, whole family's got to work homecoming. If you're in town, you got to work homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't have to do anything else. 
and then everything else is how do we make sure that we get away so that we can spend time, you know, with with each other. We spend a lot of time at home. Um, we're good at, at vacationing in different places and going to see family. Um, but we've become painfully aware that, um, you know, that when we go out locally that, you know, there's a part of us that is working when we go out, that we don't know uh, if there's somebody's taking a picture or a camera or somebody just, you know, talking about want to come up and talk to us. And that has been, um, we're better at it now, but it certainly was a challenge. Um, but it's, it's made us really think more clearly about what is family time and how we spend time together um, and how we have conversations together and how we separate that which work brings to our, to the table um, and what doesn't. What's so, your hope? What's your yeah. hope for the space, man? What's your hope for for this this uh, hope for the space? space? Yeah, this sacred I, you know space. I think uh, uh, and and I believe that the, the data shows this, and I can do a longer presentation uh, for your podcast later. Though I'm sure you don't want me talking any longer, <laughs> uh, but I believe that our institutions, HBCUs, are the single best institutions in the country, and I don't think it's close. Mm. Um, I think that all of the rankings, um, they all say the wrong thing. They're all saying what. Where do what are the most elite, the most prestigious institutions? And almost all that is based on money. It's based on family income. It's based on length of time the university has been alive. It's based on the size of the endowment. And all of those things are fantastic things. And I don't think they're bad things. But in terms of providing the best education, best quality of education, I think HBCUs have been killing this game. There's been no set of institutions that could have taken a group of people fresh out of slavery to where we are today, mm-hmm. other than our institution. And so the the body of work that we've had is just incredible. I hope that we, I'm not even talking about the outside community. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about them. Uh, They will judge us the way they want to judge us for the purposes for which they want to judge us for. But I hope one day that our people in our space begin to recognize how great our institutions are uh, and what we do. Uh, Sometimes we tend to judge ourselves by our weaknesses and, and we certainly have weaknesses. There are things that all of our institutions can improve uh, and be better at. And I'm not denying that Virginia State can be a better place and I need to work to make it better. But that does not take away from the fact that VSU, I still believe, is the best institution in Virginia with our faults, with our warts. Absolutely. Um, and I want in our space for our people to really understand the powerful contribution that our schools have made through them. That's what's funny. We made it through them. Their success um, is our success. Um, where they've gotten to is, is partially because of the work that was done here generations before. And I think continuing to recognize that we were great, we are great, and we'll continue to be great, um, to me is, is my number one thing. I, I don't like to fight folks in our space who tell me that, that our schools don't do enough because I'm, I'm not on that page. I want everybody to believe it the way I believe it. That's and right. I believe it. it. It's clear. I, it is clear. I... Um, I I noted that you outlined it for uh, core beliefs um, when you were introduced to the Trojan family. Um, And you said, I I believe in God. I believe in family. I believe in the transformative nature of education. And I believe in Virginia State University. I meant to lead with that at the very beginning. But those four things still ring true. And you can hear it in what you just said about the space uh, and and how you feel about uh, Virginia State University. Um, And I feel the same way about Wiley College, even with our Mm -hmm. faults and our shortcomings. um, You know, we're the best, as DJ Khaled would say. I I just if if you do not feel like that as the chief cheerleader, 
you're not fit um, to be leading. Um, and it, it's always remarkable how people want to ask a question about our relevancy when if they would just consider the enormity of the impacts that we've had, not, a, not, not mentioning building the black middle class, but what we continue mm-hmm. to do and how we have to do that with one hand tied behind our backs. Like you, you would never question um, the relevancy of our institutions if you understood the magnitude of underfunding. Who is it? Maryland just got half a billion dollars because of the inequity. Uh, Mm -hmm. Alabama has won cases. Uh, uh, Mississippi has won cases. Like we know that we are intentionally underfunded and yet we Mm -hmm. still rise. And so I, well, I mean, look, I say this in Virginia all the time. There would not be a middle class, black middle class in Virginia without the Virginia HBCUs and Howard. It wouldn't exist. Like it literally wouldn't be. There would not be a black middle class in America without HBCUs. I mm. think that is, to me, that's crystal clear. And and so it to me, it's not even just leadership. You you can't. You shouldn't work at an HBCU if you don't believe it. That's right. Right. And I don't. And I don't believe it because I work here. I work here because I believe it. Those two different things. I believed in Virginia State before I got to Virginia State, right? I wanted to work here because I believed in Virginia State. So this isn't, you know, it isn't an, an act kind of put on because now I'm the president. I, I don't, I don't think you can lead in our space. And and when I say lead, I mean faculty, staff, student, administrator. You can't lead in our space if you don't believe in the very institution that. That, that 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 we serve. My daughter graduated from Virginia State. Mm. I mean, I thought it was good enough for other people. I think it's good enough for my daughter too. <laughs> why? Why can't I, it not be right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Now she didn't want it. She started at Hampton. She didn't want to go to Virginia State, but then she ended up coming home and she liked it and she stayed. My yes. son went to Morehouse. He didn't want to go. He wanted to get away from home. I, I understand that, yeah. right? But uh, but if if your school isn't on your list, you working at the wrong school. I agree. If your school is not on the school on the list for your kid, you work at the wrong school. I I couldn't agree more, man. Like I, I you know? it is amazing, um, and really is why the flight um, occurred and why reverse migration is occurring now. There's this trope about HBCUs being in trouble with declining enrollments, and they're looking at data that if you extrapolate the years under an administration uh, under the Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, who was under the Obama administration with that parent plus loan debacle. Um, I think Bennett College is in the trouble that it is in now, um, largely Mm -hmm. because of the parent plus loan debacle. And those two or three years Mm -hmm. destroyed institutions. Um, And what they did, what people don't understand is that they made it difficult for folks with marginal and re- reasonably um, credit worthiness um, to get that parent plus loan. And without that, you couldn't go to, to HBCUs. You couldn't go to a lot of other colleges. But the impact and this notion that enrollment is down only at HBCUs is a farce. It's, it's a down all across America. Um, and mm-hmm. um, I think people have to be really cautious before they open their mouths to talk about the potential um, crises or looming crises around um, 
just HBCUs. All all schools are, are having troubles, but I think we should also put an asterisk for all institutions, uh, size, shape, color, doesn't matter, um, during that, that parent plus loan debacle. And I think if you extrapolate that, those, that, that data, um, it, it would be a, a, a very different picture, I think. I can, I concur. Uh, I, I think one of the, one of the great challenges though, is that I don't know, we, we tend to judge our institutions on the wrong thing. Um, Bennett, which is a fantastic institution has been around for, uh, so many years mm-hmm. uh, when we start talking about Bennett and any of the challenges have been or any of our other HBCUs we never talk about the success that the students are having when they graduate <laughs> right. um, from, as far as I've heard there's been nothing to talk about uh, that, that the Bennett Bells are not the great ladies that they've always been right. uh, that they're not going off and, and accepting the challenge of taking over the world after they graduate from Bennett and so if Bennett is continuing to produce quality graduates that are going out to change the world then what's, the what's wrong with Bennett again? <laughs> you know, um, you know. So what? What we have, you know, part, again, and that's part partly on us. We've got to change. We've got to draw it back to really what it is, and it's about the life changing experiences that we're giving. And if that, and if that's working, if that's working, then our student and our universities are successful. And if it's not working. No matter how big the enrollment is, no matter how many students you have, no matter how much money you got in your pocket, if you're not providing that experience for young people, then you're not doing the work, right? Couldn't agree. And so we, we've got to look to, to, in terms of how we decide to, to talk about the metrics of our institutions, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of great institutions that may be having, you know, not a, having some temporary challenges mm-hmm. where the student experience is still all that it is and was supposed to be. That's right. And that's what's most important. Anyway, I digress, man. I can, you know, I, I get I, excited sometimes and yeah, get but on my soapbox. I, you I should be, and that's not a soapbox, my brother. Those are facts, um, mm-hmm. period. Um, I'm going to hit you with these rapid-fire questions, man, and then we're going to close this I thing bet. out with your, your parting shots. Um, Jordans or Wands? I knew I was going to get you. I knew I was going to get you. That's tough. So I'm wearing ones today, which makes it tough. But I'm going. I'm I'm going with Jordans. Okay. 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 Um, Pippen or Clyde Drexler? Yo, yo. Okay. Well, first (laughs) Chicago boy. So the, the. the answer is easy, you know, Pippen. We used to, you know, but, but Clyde has gotten more out of dribbling with his head down in his right hand more than anybody ever in the history of the NBA. Clyde gets more done dribbling with one hand looking down than anybody ever had. God, bless, God bless his soul. I need you to rank these three, Kobe, okay. Jordan, and LeBron. Okay, now this is, uh, for me, unfortunately, this is easy, and I'm going to break a whole lot of hearts because LeBron, I know I, I'm from Chicago, um, but LeBron, to me, is the most complete, best basketball player of all time. He is, in fact, the GOAT. And to me, the only two people who can even be in that conversation are Jordan and LeBron. I will accept Jordan if people say it. I'm not going to argue with you. But mm-hmm. I think LeBron is number one. So LeBron one, Jordan two, and uh, God bless Kobe. Rest in peace. I've developed a great appreciation for his game after his death, unfortunately. But I, I do admire his game. But I don't think he's even in the same ballpark as those two. So it's wow. Jordan, J- Jordan, Le- LeBron Jordan, and then the distant third, Distant third, Kobe Bean Bryant. My man. Um, pickup or SUV? 
Ah, 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 ah. Just moved my pickup for a new electric car. I'll tell you that story later. So I got to go pick up. Got to go pick up. Go with pick up. Okay. I was yes, I was going to say electric or gas. Electric. Electric, man. I've I've turned a corner. I'm a gadget guy by uh, definition. So I'm driving a 500E Fiat. 500E with 100 miles of range. That's my new car. It's parked outside. And, uh. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Trying to move into the next 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 century. Me and my wife have electric cars. Coke or Pepsi? You know, I don't. I don't drink soda. Neither one of them. Okay. Ah, uh, I don't drink soda. Favorite uh. favorite dessert? Sunday uh, after a Sunday meal, football games over with, or whatever puts you on a high on a Sunday. What's that go to dessert on Sunday? Brother, brother, that's a, that's a, <laughs> man, something. Something hot with apples with some ice cream on it. You yes, know what I'm saying? Sir. It could be cobbler or pie or something. You can make it up. It don't have, it don't have to be neat. It could be messy. It's crazy. Right? I, I will go to <laughs> I will go to McDonald's and get that that two for one uh, special on them, them hot <laughs> apple pies, bro. <laughs> I, I mean, burnt my mouth so much in those dang hot apple pies. Listen, man, that's, man, that's how much I love that apple pie and some good vanilla ice cream. So, yes, sir. <laughs> so I'm with you. There. Me and you. Um, uh, Founders Day or graduation? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! I didn't right, say they I, were going to be easy, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the you business. You, you didn't. You didn't. You know, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go with commencement. There's nothing more than unites the people more than commencement. There's no matter what differences. Everybody's in the room, faculty, staff, students, alumni, supporters, and friends, and parents, and everybody's smiling while we represent what we do, right? It is a a representation of what we do. So commencement is number one. It's my favorite by far. But Founders Day is quietly an underrated number two. Mm. Um, You know, because to me, and I heard this, I want to say Claude Perkins said this. I went to Virginia Union's Founders Day there my first year when I was here. And he said that we're still founding our schools, Hmm. you know, that Founders Day, this is a celebration of the continuing of doing the work to continue to make sure that the foundation is strong, you know, from the current administrations, faculty and staff and students to the past administrations, that we're a part of that. And so I feel that on Founders Day, that, Hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're still building. The building isn't finished. We're still founding. It's a continuum of excellence. Amen. Last one. Best jumper. Yep. Dewan Warmack or McCola Abdullah. Now now look, I'm 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 gonna tell you this. First let me let me give all due respect uh to Dewan Warmack. Uh he is probably the best president ball player, um, having played D two basketball. Wow. And he's and he's got us by about six or seven years, two is younger than us. Yeah. So youth plus experience and skill, uh, he is by far a better ball player than I am. Wow. Who's got a better jumper? I do. Period. I do. And that's not. And he would he would, he would tell you that. Now, don't get me wrong. He can heat up. Now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but jump is about all I got left right now. That's you know. So <laughs> so, so you know, I'm I'm a, kind of a one trick pony, and I got a, I got a decent trick. Man, he still listen. got other tricks, you know. But when he when he leaves those tricks behind, he'll I'm sure he'll eclipse me with the jump shot. Dude, I think um that's funny, man. Like I I I envy you guys. I um mm-hmm. the last time I played ball was our last defense in the faculty versus faculty and staff versus students at Livingstone mm-hmm. back in 15. And man, it took me like a week to recover. And 
I just said, you know what, I'm, I am going to stick to walking and occasionally I might look at a weight. But in terms of exercise for me, I, I cannot get on that basketball court uh, ever again, man. I just, I, I can't do it. I'll, I'll shoot around, but I can't play competitively, um, even on the intramural level, bro. I'm like, uh, I'm like Jordan for the Wizards. I ain't never gonna retire. Um, I'm gonna go out there no matter what I got. Uh, I play with the uh, one of my fun things. I play with the girls' team. I scrimmage with them sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, and they give me all of the business, all of the business. One of them gave me a concussion uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and it is it is the most fun that I have. I I really love the game. I really love basketball. It's uh, from watching it to playing it to coaching it. I've kind of done it all with it, and I just I just really enjoy it. I don't they don't have to drag me off the court. Man, let me tell you something, brother. It it, um, it keeps getting better. Um, these conversations, this health podcast, man, and uh, I'm I'm grateful that you had an opportunity um, to to spend some time with us here at Health uh, today. I want to give you an opportunity to leave with your closing thoughts, man. I, I'll uh, since it's on our minds, I'll lead with uh, you know with coronavirus. You know, we will we will get beyond this. Uh, we are strong enough to make it to the other side. Uh, we will ultimately be stronger, different, but stronger. Um, I'm excited about the missions that our institutions have. I'm excited about Virginia State. And even today, even in the middle of what is called a crisis right now, I'm very excited about the future. So uh, keep your head up. Let's get this work done. My man. wanna. <laughs> <laughs> want to thank uh, the 14th president of uh, Virginia State University once again, Dr. Makola Abdullah. We appreciate you, brother. Uh, we wish you nothing but Godspeed. Uh, blessings to your beautiful family and, um, and to those Trojans, the mighty Trojans of uh, Virginia State University. Thank you for, for sharing your time with us today, brother. Hey, and thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. Appreciate you, brother. Be well, man.